Hello, everybody. Welcome to this edition of the One Million by One Million podcast. And today's podcast is part of our Thought Leaders in Corporate Innovation series. We have as our guest today, John Reschner from TBWA Shayad Day. John, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. So as, a, as an introduction, tell us a bit about what... Um, you know, what is your focus, philosophy, or overall thinking at Shad Day these days, vis-a-vis innovation? Um, yeah, yeah. well, I, I have an interesting role that was purposefully designed to be both an innovation role and sort of a, a more central traditional role in the agency. So I'm both the chief innovation officer and the managing director. Um, and I think, you know, for most large creative agencies, um, the focus for us on innovation is really a focus on transformation. Um, and, and I think, you know, a lot of it is a struggle to stay useful and relevant and a couple of steps ahead of um, our clients' needs and the best ways to utilize the platforms and media channels that have, that have really exploded over the last 10 years. Yeah. So can you isolate the different trends that you are seeing in your industry, in the advertising industry, that you need to be particularly mindful about and that you need strategies around? Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's funny. There, there are a lot of trends. I think mostly they're pulling in the same direction. There are some that are, that are sort of offsetting. I think the, the biggest trend for people who care about um, you know, consumers' attention is the consumer's attention is much more fractured and has been getting so since, you know, 1998 or so when we all started getting dial-up lines. Um, so I mm-hmm. think, and then obviously exploded with the introduction of the iPhone. So I think that, um, that that's, that's the, the biggest trend. And, and, and again, I just, we haven't seen a slowing. We haven't, you know, people seem to continually add media time to their day um, without necessarily subtracting from too many other platforms, um, and what that tells us is that they're probably doing two or three things simultaneously. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that's, a, that's a huge reference, and it just means we have to, you know, we used to have the luxury, sort of well-trod territory, but we used to have the luxury of, you know, in the middle of the show that we could reliably say 35 million people were going to watch, we got 30 seconds with you, um, and unless you, you know, took a bathroom break, we were pretty sure we had some, some legitimate percentage of your attention. Um, mm-hmm. And now, you know, A, no, no, no serialized show and even very few live events pull that kind of consistent viewing. And the truth is, too, that the moment there's something that people are slightly less interested in or a a momentary thought hits them, they have at least one, if not two other screens they can turn to. Um, Sometimes that's supplementary interaction. Sometimes it's, you know, sort of purely interruptive. But that's a, I think that's something that um, companies who are used to making big, iconic, coherent, creative statements um, are still adjusting to the fact that we probably don't get 30 uninterrupted seconds. We have to pull, um, you know, five interactions in six second intervals or maybe 30 in one second intervals. So that, yeah. and, and that just, that means that our strategy and our creative output has to be fundamentally different and that we have to be much, much smarter about the media landscape. The things that we would do yep. on Snapchat are fundamentally different than the things that we would do uh, even to be fair on Instagram. So, um, mm-hmm. so that's, a, that's a significant trend that just means we have to be better at a broader spectrum of things and we have to be comfortable with triangulating people as opposed to um, just consistently getting a chunk of their attention. Um, yep. And then beyond that, I think what that's driven in our industry is that, you know, 
I think even too when I got into advertising 15 years ago, you know, there were a bunch of big agencies, but it was a pretty reliable list. And then there were some upstarts like AKQA and RGA and Organic yeah. who were who are pushing in. Um, and now there are, especially in Los Angeles where I am, there are hundreds and thousands of, of, of possibilities for a brand. And they're sampling a lot of them, which, which for us translates into some really interesting opportunities, but also generally translates into less money. Um, so we have, to, we have to adjust to that. We have to be better at more things at the same time, but with less, um, you know, fewer, fewer overall client dollars pushed our way. Yep. Interesting. So I'm going to uh, double-click down on both of those vectors um, individually. The first question that came to my mind is the fragmentation of media attention question. Uh, while there is fragmentation, there is also a couple of uh, channels that are hogging attention from a platform point of view, right? Facebook continues to you know, be a very big attention hog globally. And, um, you know, there's some other, you, you have a much better organized list of who's hogging what attention than I do. Uh, how do you, how do you see this playing out? And there's well, a lot of uh, clamor right now about, you know, addictive behavior and so forth. So how do you see this playing out? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, so two things. I mean, first, I think the stat that, you know, Google and Facebook together pull 60% of all digital media dollars, um, why I think it's true. Facebook doesn't really mean Facebook. Um, Facebook means lots of different types of ad units. It means Messenger. It means WhatsApp. It means Instagram. Um, yep. So that all gets sort of lumped together. But really, you're talking about you know at least three or four fundamentally different behaviors in different places. Um, and even to Facebook Live, while it still exists under a blue bar, also is a fundamentally different way of interacting. So I think I think that there's like that's the the duopoly is more of a financial entity than it is like a consumer behavioral entity. Even, I mean, especially Google, you know, everything from daydream VR right. all the way through to like, like the 50 different kinds of YouTube units you can play with. And then, yeah. uh, and then through to like paid search, which even like there's a lot of interesting innovation in paid search. So I think, I think that again, from a, from, if I'm a brand, I certainly have concerns about that because being in a duopoly situation tends to be anti-competitive. Um, from a financial perspective, but as a as an advertiser, a marketer, um, I think it's still a pretty broad spectrum of behaviors. Um, so to that side, I also, I mean, I, I think I think it's been a really interesting last couple of months, especially like before I came back to Los Angeles last year, I was in um, Southeast Asia for a couple of years, and um, you know, in, in Myanmar especially, you know, they switched on the internet, and all of a sudden, three G cards were a dollar fifty a month instead of fifteen hundred dollars a month. Um, and Facebook became synonymous with the internet um, for that uh -huh. country, effectively, yeah. and then got turned to some really nefarious purposes. Um, you know, there was, and and I think again, it, it makes what happened in the U.S. election here look um, exceptionally mild by comparison, because this resulted in the displacement of hundreds of thousands of people. Um, and I right. think that that was a microcosm for me of of what we're seeing now, like just this sense of of maybe. I mean, again, you have people from these platforms saying maybe the thing we made we should have thought harder about like we essentially you know we created the digital version of a cigarette and we never thought about what it might do when we put it out in the world and then and then you know weaponized it and so I think I think that that you know seeing what the announcements that YouTube's making around um, around human uh, curation uh, of a lot of its content especially its, its premium content Facebook announcing that they're you know they're gonna try to fundamentally change the news feed at least there's, there's an acknowledgement I think underlying all of that, um, there's a guy called Dan Hahn who's 
an or at least an order of magnitude smarter than I am, um, who, who's basically said, you know, when we see these things like the election, like what's happening with, you know, Facebook Live in North Africa, what's happening in Myanmar, um, that that that's the, that's what happens right before you get regulated software development, which I think would fundamentally change, especially Silicon Valley to some degree LA. Like I think you'd see a lot fewer Teslas and a lot more curl as if that happened uh, in 10 years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So um, all of those are very interesting <laughs> developments, macro trends, and, and we are, we are tracking all of them very closely. Um, and, and I agree with you, there's going to be regulation and there needs to be regulation. I don't think there's any two ways about it. I mean, the question so, there, though, um, is, is, it, is it government regulation or self-regulation? Yes, are, exactly. I mean, I mean, exactly. If they don't self-regulate, government will regulate. And, and they, if they self-regulate, it may be done in a more uh, intelligent way. Government regulation can be very not intelligent. I mean, potentially. Like, I'm not a person who believes that, you know, all government regulation is, is bad, certainly. But I do think, I think there's, I mean, you look at like what happened with the motion picture industry sort of earlier on in its lifetime. And I think they, and the video game industry did the same thing. Now that was just content, which is a lot simpler. Um, but, um, but I think both of those industries sort of successfully reassured the public and the government and world governments that they were, they had a, they had a handle on it and they understood their responsibility. And I think the onus is now on not just Facebook and Google, but the sort of broader speaking these platforms, including yeah. smartphone manufacturers to, to prove that exactly. they, they understand that there's a balance between profit and their impact in the world. Yes, totally. So, um, you know, coming back to the micro, to your organization, I want to probe two topics. One is your internal innovation strategy. One is your external innovation strategy. So let's start with internal innovation, and I'm going to explain to you what I'm looking to understand based on what you've said so far. So there is all this stuff going on. There are different... Um, platforms, there are different ad units even within the platforms, different types of ways you can engage with the audience with different attention spans and so forth. So there is a, there's a tremendous opportunity for creativity and innovation and using technology and designing creatives or designing, you know, interactive programs within your technology constraints within your organization. How do you keep track of all the different things that are happening and which ones need to be kind of institutionalized? If you hit upon something, what we do in, in the technology industry often is like if something happens in some part of the organization and is, it looks really interesting, it goes from being a, you know, a side experiment to becoming institutionalized somehow and, and often productized. Your business is a bit different, but certainly institutionalization opportunities are bound within your organization as well, I imagine. How do you manage that process-wise? Yeah. Well, I think there, there's, a, there's a more fundamental question, which is do you have the people with the curiosity and, the, and at least the beginnings of the expertise to be able to execute something like that effectively, whatever that yeah. is, you know, a new ad unit playing in a new channel. Um, and then, and then ab above that is, is yeah, do you have a way to, to purposefully experiment um, and then if it works, you know, in, begin to institutionalize it. And if it doesn't work, walk away with some lesson as to, like, what you messed up or, or what, what didn't function. So, so from that standpoint, I mean, I think, in this way I'd say, like, at a core, internal innovation in a services industry is a lot about transformation. Um, you know, whether that's the same people with new skills 
new people or new frameworks that you can put the same skills into but get a different outcome. So, um, so there's, there's, like that, there's that side of it. Like really simply in terms of staying on top of the different platforms and units and behaviors that are occurring in those platforms, um, the, the secret weapon I think for, for creative agencies is that the platforms, you know, A, Google and Facebook especially, but also Snapchat, they, they all, A, have a staggering amount of money compared to ad agencies. Um, and, and B, they're dying to have us create into their products. Um, you know, having me media agencies, you know, buy an opportunity is great, but if you don't have a strategy or an idea that fits it, you end up with some weird bolt on and generally, you know, not terribly interesting results and then you never do it again. So I think um, uh, a few years ago, you know, had some really interesting opportunities with Target and we were talking about uh, something being, you know, all YouTube. What if we, what if we moved this campaign to 100% YouTube um, in terms of the core assets? Uh, and, and we found by reaching out to Google, they were super excited to support us, help us, like help us sell it in, even help fund things sometimes. So that's, mm -hmm. um, that's kind of my standard, my standard drill. Like with, with, there's a new, so, you know, I'm, I'm routinely meeting with, with people from YouTube and other parts of Google, Facebook, Instagram, Whisper, Snap. You know, when I go to South by Southwest, I sort of, you know, have a breakfast taco, go do 75 meetings with interesting platforms, and then, uh, you know, go, go have drinks um, at like 9 o'clock at night. So it's really about just, I think, if you let those people in um, and let them help you craft your strategies and ideas, you can get a huge amount of value out of them. Um, you can even, we actually just did something with, um, with YouTube, a six-second stories, uh, exercise that they helped they actually funded with a bunch of creative agencies and then it gave us an opportunity to debut some stuff at Sundance and then there's going to be a, a South by Southwest extension. So the nice thing about that is we get to play in a, in a medium. We get to play with some new tools and things in beta, but we're not doing it with client dollars. We're doing it with our own sort of time and creative energy. So our people get a chance to kind of be famous in their own right um, and do something, you know, for South by or Sundance. And, and we get a chance to develop some new expertise in a really low risk environment. So that, that's, that's really it. I've just, I found having, you know, the more you have an open door for the platforms, the more value you, you get out of them. And I think they're, they're really happy to come in and, you know, teach us anything, support us, give us hardware, software, um, expertise. So that, that's, that's the, how we stay on top of those things is just by having a, a really open door. Um, and then, and also too, my CCO here is, is, is great about pushing creatives to say like, you know, okay, do whatever you're going to do, but I also want to see an idea using, you know, director mix. I want to see an idea using Facebook live. Mm -hmm. um, so you then, use the, um, all the platform vendors to be um, kind of educating you on what's new on their platform and what are the possibilities and the powers of those platforms. And then you bring that into your creatives and, and task them to come up with creative ideas on how to use those platforms and those types of constraints. Yeah, well, all, all, all the platforms do. Yeah, all the platforms do roadshows, and the roadshows mm -hmm. a great way just to get a like, get a basic understanding. But again, I think what what um, I used to do at, at when I was at an agency called Deutsch in LA, and what I've continued to do here, is to and really invite them in. So we have somebody from Google who sits in our office one day a week. Um, mm -hmm. We have a really close partnership with Reddit. We have a preferred data partnership with LinkedIn, and all those things mm -hmm. just give us ways to exploit those platforms um, that we otherwise wouldn't have if we just um, you know, just used what was publicly available or, or, or right. to that point too, like fast following something that worked before. Like once Geico did the unskippable ad, every other unskippable, um, you know, execution, while it may have been incrementally more effective, was sort of creatively and from a brand perspective, a lot less effective. 
Yeah, okay. Now, um, you also mentioned that in even just in L.A., there are hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, boutique agencies nowadays that are competing for, for the same dollars and, and the brands and are becoming much more open to experimenting and spreading the dollars across those different uh, smaller agencies. How do you keep track? What's your process of keeping an eye on who's doing what and what's interesting and what's succeeding? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's funny. The award shows used to be used to be the sort of best place. Like if you went to Cannes, you saw the best uh, marketing and advertising in the world, and you could reliably say, like, okay, if somebody, if somebody made a, a dent there, even just had, like, an interesting little splash you never heard of before, you should probably keep your eye on them. And I think now, now that's a much less reliable – um, way just because there's there are a lot of small and medium players who are doing interesting stuff. Um, I think I don't know. It's funny. I mean, there's there's obviously having been in the industry for a while. I talk with I have a lot of friends around the industry, and we all kind of watch and share things. So there's that kind of dark social version of you know other chief digital officers, CIOs, CSOs, and we just share stuff around. It's like, man, that's pretty cool. Like, what what do we think it means? Um, and then beyond that, I mean, I think there is, I'd say especially in L.A., there's a great um, community now. We have a lot of, there are a lot of events. Again, some of them organize just because we have obviously a big Facebook presence and big Google presence here. Um, mm-hmm. They organize a lot of events that bring us together. Um, mm-hmm. And that too kind of helps you, helps you keep track. And then the other side is honestly just recruiting. You know, we're always looking for the next smart, interesting person from a background that's, that's not exactly like, you know, anybody else we have here or the majority of people we have here. So recruiting is funny when you look, you start, when people start spiking in recruiting searches, then maybe you track that back and take a look at the agency that they're out of the, or not an agency mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and just say, huh, like that's, that's pretty wild. So, so those, those two ways I think kind of help, um, help keep us pointed at who's doing interesting things. Um, I think too, the other piece I'd say is, you know, that a lot of times it's not, you know, within the big agency world, especially, um, you know, you kind of need to know 50 or a hundred people and you kind of, You've got, you've got sort of a handle on, on most of the, the world you need to. I, I think for us, it's looking at, looking beyond that, whether it's um, like there's, a, um, there's a, a platform called Influential that's sort of AI-driven um, yes, uh, AI influencer selection. Yeah, and so, so it's more, I think that's it. Like, again, part of, um, part of my job is just meeting me, especially my, my head of digital production, my head of um, digital and content strategy. We meet with just about anybody that calls us up. Um, mm-hmm. just to understand what they're up to and what the opportunities are. And then, then there, you never know. Again, we're, we're always open to a, to a partnership. Um, like, for instance, we're doing, a, we're doing a pitch. And as a pitch, we're partnering with Super Deluxe. Um, just, we, we haven't worked together before. They have an amazing handle on Facebook Live and how to exploit it. Um, so we're actually, and in a very transparent way, like we're not, we're not white labeling them. We're, we're pitching together. And what we're pitching, you know, has strategy, creative, you know, execution, production, and distribution built into it. So that, that those sorts of exercises, I think, help help keep us, uh, you know, a little a little more fresh. Great, very interesting. And influencers, you brought up influencers. What is your, um, um, you know, how do you keep track of the influencers that you want to work <laughs> with and so forth? Is there some do you use a, a system like a? Uh, there are actually many of these influencer marketing systems yeah. out there. Is that what you use? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, I think so if you're talking about, I mean, tier one influencers now are essentially the same as working with any celebrity. Um, 
especially you know that that you seed amount certain amount of true, actually, brand yeah. and creative control. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I can't, I couldn't tell you the difference between working with, you know, again, like any any top tier influencer and working with a with a celebrity. Um, so right. those aren't really hard to track, right? That's sort of those are that is you, true. Yeah, you know, there's there are big big um, numbers that will tell you if their audience crosses over with yours. Um, yeah. And then you just, you know, handle all the normal details. I think when you get down to like tier two and tier three influencers, um, those, those more data-driven platforms become really interesting. And there, to me, it's not so much about tracking influencers as it is about trying to cast a reasonably wide net. And then because and then, if you're, you know, you're going to take 20000 or $30,000 and spread it around through a tier two or tier three influencer program, where really, you know, it's incentivized content creation, you just see which one of them spikes and creates the most noise and then think about essentially using them. It's, it's sort of like the old brand ambassador programs. Um, mm-hmm. You're just finding them through more in a more of a, more of a data driven way. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I mean that, that said though, I think the, that influencer ecosystem uh, is a little, you know, I think uh, there's, you know, there, there are a lot of people who are sort of right in the bubble of being a tier one influencer who really, you know, they're challenged to brand things um, because as soon as they do, they, they dump 5% of their audience that they have to go, you know, scrape to get back. And the money really doesn't make a ton of sense for them. So I do think there's going to be an interesting, those people who are going you know, to, especially if I look at like YouTube, they're right around that 300, 400,000 subscriber mark. Um, mm-hmm. I, I feel like there's an opportunity there that you could, you can kind of, you might get like a really big bang for your buck but without having to cost them, you know, 5% of their audience or looking like a shill. I, you know, we haven't we haven't cracked that yet, but I do. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think there's an opportunity. I'm having some really interesting talks with um, with professional gamers in that space, like sort of the esports yeah. league space. And I think they're yeah. you know they're like we'll we'll be able to to try some different things. I, I mean, a lot of these things do just come down to being open to you know experimentation at a financial level. Um, if we say like, listen, maybe the money doesn't move like this. Maybe it moves like this, or maybe we do something more long term. And yes, I think, um, I think if you're, if you're open, yeah. And if you're open to that, if you're open to, to coming up with five options instead of the usual one or two, I think you can get some inter- more interesting things done. Yeah. Very good. Very interesting conversation. Thank you uh, for participating, John. And uh, it's uh, you know we are uh, we definitely look at the world from the technology industry's point of view, and and you are more users and consumers and customers of technology as opposed to the actual technology vendors. So it's very helpful for our audience of people who are experimenting with ad tech and, and platforms to uh, to hear a different point of view. So thank you for sharing. Audience, thank you for coming today and uh, listening to this show. We will continue bringing you interesting thought leaders in corporate innovation as well alongside all our other types of uh, interviews that you're hearing in these podcasts, investor interviews as well as entrepreneur interviews. And uh, stop by at the uh, mentoring sessions, the weekly free mentoring sessions uh, from 1 million by 1 million anytime. It's a working session. You can bring your business and we'll work on it together. Thank you for coming again. Uh, see you soon at an, another episode of the podcast.